Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the How to Chess podcast. Of course, we are a weekly quick-hitting chess improvement show where we try to highlight a particular theme or a couple themes that can help out your game. And this week, we are joined by a bona fide adult chess improver, as we will discuss. He generally, in his by day, works in product management for a software company. He's also a chess dad. He's the founder of a chess startup called Acorn Chess. I'm a big fan of uh, Acorn Chess. It, uh, designs many games that you can use to um, to learn the basics of uh, chess and uh, help teach kids sort of um, the way the pieces move and drills on up from there. Um, and as I mentioned, he's an accomplished adult improver. He's gained about 250 FIDE points in his 40s to reach a personal rating peak, which considering all of the aforementioned other responsibilities is an amazing feat. And our guest gives a lot of credit of his success for the coaches that he has worked with, which we will be discussing who those coaches are in short order. And he's going to specifically highlight a few things that he's learned from working with these coaches. So before we hop into it, let's welcome him to the show. Andrew Webb, how are you? Hi, Ben. Yeah, I'm really good, thanks. A privilege to be on the show. I feel like uh, it's an illustrious company on your show with the likes of Peter Spidler and uh, Lawrence Trent and so forth. So yeah, very, very happy to be here. Uh, Lawrence Trent would be glad to hear you call him illustrious. So uh, <laughs> thank you. But but yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, people like that, they're they're just incredible chess players and obviously uh, nice guys and entertaining on top of that. But but what you've accomplished to improve as much as you have in your 40s, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people trying to do that and um, not necessarily pulling it off, my, myself included, being a 40 year uh, a dad in his 40s myself. Um, so if you're ready, Andrew, we can hop into the catch the questions and you can share all your secrets. You ready? Absolutely. Let's go. Excellent. Okay. So let's start off with a softball, Andrew. Who who were your coaches or are your coaches? Yeah. So I, I worked with a couple of coaches. Um, I worked with Nigel Davies, Grandmaster Nigel Davies from the UK uh, between 2013 and 2015. And then I worked with uh, Dan Heisman um, from the US in 2019 to 2021. Excellent. And uh, Nigel Davies, of course, has the Chess Improver blog. I've enjoyed some of his posts over the years. And Dan Heisman, quite well known, as you say, coach here in the U.S., actually not so far from where I'm recording here um, in New Jersey. He lives in Pennsylvania. And Dan, of course, has written some great books in addition to having a YouTube channel. So you chose your coaches wisely. Um, now, let's let's unpack what you learned from them. So what are some lessons that you learned from? Let's start with uh, Nigel Davies, Andrews, Andrew. Sure. Yeah. So, so Nigel, I think the, the thing that really uh, I really took away from working with Nigel was around the opening repertoire. And in particular, he focused on an opening repertoire where you're learning the key pawn structures and, and, and the key ideas and pawn levers associated to those pawn structures. And although I'd sort of I'd understood a little bit about pawn structures from, you know, I've got quite an extensive chess library, some of which you can uh, probably see here, but it's, uh, I really learned a tremendous amount about, um, you know, what to focus on. And as, as he started to go through sort of like example reference games, the games made much more sense when I understood both sides were fighting for particular pawn breaks, um, either trying to achieve them or trying to prevent their opponent from doing so. And that, and that was a, a sort of massive light bulb moment for me. Um, rather than just learning openings by rote, I was beginning to sort of understand the mechanics of what you're striving for and, and what the plans and ideas might be. Yeah, it's, it's a really good point that it's kind of hard to overstate that even though Chessable um, 
even though chasuble, of course, helps you remember lines, that doesn't mean that, that you should forego trying to, to learn the ideas. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. And of course, something like having a grandmaster coach like Nigel Davies, that's that can sort of that can really save you a lot of time and sort of cutting through the fog and learning what to do in a given position. But of course, there are also books and resources that people can use. I'm always um, always advocating for Chess Structures by Mauricio Flores Rios, which is uh, available on Chessable and is a great way uh, for those of us who, who are either looking to augment or replace working with a coach. Now, Andrew, are you able to divulge like uh, which openings uh, Nigel helped you with? Yeah, let me let me do that at the risk of uh, giving too much information away <laughs> to my opponents. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, he focuses on a lot of the classical openings. So things like the Queen's Gambit declined, um, the French defense, um, the Col or Collie, depending on how you pronounce it. So th- those kinds of openings. And I think what's interesting about those is like, you know, Queen's Gambit declined. He teaches it from both the white side and the black side. I actually learned it initially with him from the black side and trying to understand that I need to try and prevent or manage the the sort of typical white plans of like the minority attack or trying to get the E4 break in. So it was, you know, really kind of, you know, classical openings um, with a lot of heritage. And also the lines he picked are not necessarily the most fashionable ones that are changing a lot either. So, you know, to your point earlier, I don't have a lot of time, um, free time to spend kind of keeping up to date with the latest innovations in all these lines. So the lines that Nigel had picked were kind of fairly solid. And, and I, I, I could, once I learned the key ideas, I could reliably play them in, in tournaments and league games. That's great. Yeah. So for that reason, it can be good to go with the evergreen openings and Queen's Gambit decline, of course, has been contested in many world championships. So uh, it doesn't get any more uh, classic than that. And as you say, learning it from both sides is another sort of perk of a uh, approaching an opening like that. But as you know, Andrew, this is a short format show, so we might come back to some lessons from Nigel, but let's uh, keep it moving and hear uh, how, how you're working with uh, Dan Heisman um, uh, progressed and what you learned from it. Yeah, so to, as you said earlier, I mean, Dan, I'd read, I'd sort of discovered a lot of great content from Dan over the years from his novice Nook articles that I'd, I'd, I'd read and learned a lot from through to some of the books he, he, he's published as well. So uh, the one the one big, I learned a lot from both coaches, but one of the things I learned from from Dan that stands out is he introduced me to this this idea of the De Groot exercise. And I'll just maybe briefly explain what the De Groot exercise is. So it was um, it, it was a Dutch professional psychologist who created this back in the 1930s and he wanted to understand how chess players think he was a chess master himself and so he gets the the chess player to speak out loud and and explain what they're thinking about given a particular position and so Dan would give me some of the classic de Groot exercises and also some of his own and say okay Andrew here's the position I'm going to start the clock I want you to start just talking out loud about what you're thinking about in the position and the first time you do that, it's a very strange sort of out-of-body experience. You're, just, you're used to thinking silently in your head about the position, and now you're just saying out loud what you think about the position, um, you know, what, what the evaluation is, what lines you're looking at, what you're considering, and you just talk out loud, and Dan just you know, would take notes of everything I'd said, and then at the end, you know, he'd then basically say, tell me when you want to stop. So I would, you know, I think the first one I did with him, I spent 20, over 20 minutes wow. talking. Um, and Dan said, actually, that equates to about 10 minutes in, in real thinking time if you weren't speaking out loud. Um, and gosh, what an insight I got into my thinking process and the things I was missing. Um, and, and, and he went through it very thoroughly. And he was, you know, I, sort of, I made some notes of sort of things I missed. He's like, 
hadn't picked up on the bishop pair advantage. I wasn't systematically looking at all the checks, captures, and threats. Um, you know, I wasn't uh, analyzing all the different uh, captures on a key square. I'd, I'd looked at a couple of them and just kind of skirted over the other kind of uh, the third capture. And so, yeah, I was just like having a mirror, <laughs> looking in the mirror and realizing all this, all these things which I just, you know, you don't see in yourself because you're just thinking about positions. Um, and I did a few of those with Dan and, and just incredibly insightful. And I'm, I'm glad I actually took some notes from some of them um, so that I can actually refer back to them and remember what, what things I need to you know, keep in mind when I'm, when I'm thinking about a position. Yeah, these days, the wonders of technology, when I get lessons with uh, Grandmaster Axel Bachman, shout out to Axel, I, I actually record them because like the, the information comes so fast and furious that, yeah, if you don't do that, you're going to be like, well, I learned a lot, but I don't, I don't really know what it is. Um, now, getting back to Dan Heisman, I've uh, interviewed him on the Perpetual Chess podcast in the past. We're, we're reasonably friendly, and I know he's long been a big advocate of these uh, DeGroote exercises. And DeGroote, of course, wrote this classic book, uh, Thought and Choice in Chess where he lays out some of the positions that back in the day, as you say, he he tested players running the gamut across skill levels um, and sort of just wanted to see the differences in, in what they observe. Now, do you know, did Dan use the actual DeGroote position or did he use like an updated version or he, one of he, them, I should say? Yeah, so the very first one I did was the, I think it was the classic um, DeGroote A exercise. So it was one of the original, uh, well, I think, um, the group called protocols <laughs> um it was one of the original ones and then i did some other uh ones with dan some of the other ones i did with dan later on were some of his own construction but the the original degroot a i did and i think i did maybe degroot c as well and i'd never seen fortunately i haven't seen these positions myself so i was coming in with fresh eyes and a fresh brain and trying to make make sense of it on sort of on the spot um what am i seeing what am i thinking about and uh but yeah, they're, they're really, really great kind of um, positions to um, wrap your brain around. Yeah, and a, and a great exercise generally. And while while we're always, you know, when we talk about things we learn from coaches, we know that not everyone can can afford a coach, as has been discussed in the past, although they are more affordable than ever, especially if you're able to get online lessons from people anywhere in the world. So of course, Dan is a great coach, but anytime you can find a stronger player, even if they're just a friend of yours, I think that the broader concept that we can extrapolate, Andrew, is just to to spend that time thinking through the position. But then of course, the as you say, the 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 golden moment is uh having someone to highlight either what what you uh missed or what you got wrong. Now Andrew, you already mentioned what you missed. Is there anything that that you remember specifically just being wrong about uh with these exercises? Um yeah, I mean I I I think I got the evaluation wrong in, in some cases for some of the lines I just either didn't go far enough or I just completely uh missed some some key idea and just misevaluated some positions. So um yeah, it was it was kind of shocking but you know, shocking in a good way because you that's a, what you want to do is find out what you're missing, right? Right, you're of course. To, you're trying yeah. to fill in the gaps. And I mean, to get better, you've got to work out, you've got to add new knowledge, but you've also got to kind of like correct and fine tune your you know, the, your thought processes and your existing knowledge. So it really helped in, in, in that sense because, um, yeah, I, I started to realize the sort of things. I was seeing patterns as I did, as I did more of these degree exercises uh, of things I needed to work on. Yeah, and and one other idea regarding the Degroot exercises is, that of course, there's so much top-level chess going on right now, and it can be so easy to just sort of check the position and turn on the engine. But the combination of being able to first check a position without an engine 
um, and try to form your own analysis of how you think the position is. And then obviously you can turn on the engine. So as Andrew said, that way you can find out how does my evaluation compare to the quote unquote truth. But the other thing you can do is you can turn on these fantastic announcers and you can sort of talk your way through what you think is the important about the position and then turn on like David Howell and Yovanka Hauska or whoever your preferred announcing team is and then hear what they're saying about it. Now, with a tournament with like a zillion people, you know, 12 different boards going, that might be a little tricky. But as we record this, the World Championship is about six weeks out. That would be a good one where you could degrade it yourself and then get world-class commentary to find out what's really happening once you've uh, formed your own misconceptions. So a lot of uh, rich ground here that I think uh, people can can take to their own game. So Andrew, I'd like, uh, we're going to take a break and then sum up what we've learned so far. And then if you could stick around, I'd like to hear a little bit more about your chess daddom and about Acorn Chess. Does that sound good? Absolutely. Sounds great. And we are back. And before welcoming Andrew back, I just wanted to highlight what to me are the three main lessons I will be deriving from our conversation with this uh, accomplished adult improver. And number one, of course, is the importance of understanding the structures of the openings that you play as highlighted to Andrew by Grandmaster Nigel Davies. Um, The thing about that is that when you do reach these inevitable moments where you are not sure what the correct move is, when you understand the plan in an opening, it's a lot easier to make an educated guess than if it was just sheer rote memorization. Uh, number two is the point he learned from from uh, National Master Dan Heisman about the, the famed uh, DeGroote positions, where uh, it doesn't matter. Again, it's not super important what the positions are, but the act of just sort of uh, um, spilling your guts onto the page, as it were, uh, discussing everything you see in a position and trying to highlight all the salient points just like sometimes you'll hear like a writer say that in order to figure out what they want to what they think about something they need to write it um in chess it can be helpful to talk through every factor of a position and from that to realize as andrew did like what the holes or mistakes in his analysis um, might have been and of course those are inevitable and number three is the point that andrew highlighted about just reviewing the lessons obviously um, it, it can be a big investment to get these lessons from these coaches, and often they're sharing sort of a lifetime of hard-won wisdom. So to just assume that in that amount of time that you're just going to remember everything that they tell you, um, for us 40-something dads, can be uh, a bit um, foolhardy. So I think it's great that he mentioned that he take, takes notes and refers back to the lessons uh, in the future. So um, again, just awesome stuff from Andrew, um, but I, I want to get a little more information about how he got these rating points and also just about his day-to-day life. So Andrew, in our email correspondence, you mentioned that your sons are into chess as well. They are, yes. Um, they, I mean, COVID has sort of uh, slowed that down somewhat, but yeah, prior to COVID, I was actually traveling pretty much every weekend for my, my oldest son, who's now 11, um, for tournaments. He, he was really uh, playing a lot of chess uh, junior tournaments. Um, and my other son, who's a couple of years younger, has is, um, not played as much, but he, he, was, he, he was also playing in some tournaments for a while. So they're both, both keen chess players. And uh, yeah, really, in the, I've been enjoying sort of living, living the chess life through them as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a unique lens for sure, being being a chess parent. Now, what was your exposure to chess prior to your older son getting into it? Yeah, so I I, I had um, I sort of discovered got into chess as a in my in my sort of mid teens, I guess. Um, so relatively late compared to to the modern generation who get into it so young, and including my kids in that. Um, and then I went to university and I I joined the chess club. I became the captain of one of the chess teams and. 
um, and and I went on to become president of a university chess club. So I, I started, so in my early 20s, I was already quite a keen chess player and I started to play tournaments and then life kicked in and I probably had like a good 10 years plus where I didn't play any chess at all. Um, and, and then as I got into my 30s, I started to start playing again. Um, and that's when I realized, I think at one point that I was just plateauing at about 1700. Um, and I, and I just wanted to see how I, how I could, as I got into my forties, I wanted to see if I could push through that and, and break through and, 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 and into a higher, higher rating. So that's, that's when I started to look into coaching. Um, and, uh, and, and hence, you know, working with Nigel and then subsequently Dan. Yeah. And we've established that you shared some great tips from your coaches and we know you're a busy guy. Just, uh, um, we don't want to keep you for too long, but I'm curious, was there like some tactics work interspersed in there? <clears throat> Excuse me. Is there other chess study work that that you felt that contributed greatly to to your success, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, I'm, I was doing some tactics work. Um, in particular, I te- although I you know work in software and I love software, I was doing a lot of um, sort of manual tactics stuff, looking through books, particularly. Um, but uh, I, I found that yeah, tactics are always important and, and, and helped. The, the other big thing I would say is. There's a, there's a delayed effect between working with coaches or taking on new knowledge and, and your results improving. And I think that's a really, really key point because uh, it, it takes time. And particularly I, being a busy person, I wasn't playing that many games in a year, like uh, like league and tournament games. I was probably playing like 20 to 25, which is relatively low in the grand scheme of things. So it took me probably longer for, for my progress to actually manifest itself because I wasn't playing as many and I had a busy schedule, but um, but yeah, definitely tactics. Is, I've always done uh, a fair amount of tactics training as well in parallel, and also reviewing, um, you know, a- anthologies of chess games. I really find that valuable. Looking through kind of either classic games or, or more recent instructive games is really useful. Yeah, good stuff. I know that, like for example, I am John Donaldson has said a good uh, goal is to play fifty competitive games a year. But man, is that tough? I'm trying to yeah. trying to squeeze in another tournament, like trying to uh, plan for the conversation with my wife <laughs> as we record. And it's uh, yeah, fifty games a year is no small feat, as uh, as you say, as responsibilities start to grow. And last thing before we let you go, Andrew, um, I already gave my own description of Acorn Chess, and we should say my just being as a in, in my work as a chess instructor, just being a fan of the product is how we got to, to corresponding via email. But what do you tell people when they don't know anything about Acorn Chess? What do you tell them uh, about the, the product? Yeah, so, so, so Acorn Chess is, is, is it, it's a great tool for working with children and helping them learn chess. Um, and, it, and the idea is it gets them engaged with chess in, 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 with mini games, which are, you know, maybe just, they just have pawns or it just has um, you know, five pawns versus a rook. So really simple um, setups that children can learn really quickly and get going with, and they start to learn chess. And I, I trialed it out with my boys. I mean, both my boys knew how to play chess, but they, I, I, I sort of got them, you know, trying out Acorn Chess as I was creating it, and I realized already that they were enjoying it and having fun with both the mini games, but also mazes and different things that weren't readily available in other chess applications. So it seemed like this was something that could be really helpful. Um, for, for helping other children and for either teaching in schools or uh, any other coaching that people were doing with, with children. Um, and I got a lot of interest. So yeah, that that's what Acorn Chess is all about. 
Excellent. Yeah, my daughter, my younger child is five, and she doesn't know how all the pieces move yet, but mini games are, are what get her. Right now, we just do them over the board. She's an OTB mini game player, but but someday we'll get her converted to uh, to s- products such as Acorn Chess, too. So, so Andrew, this has been fantastic. Uh, anything to add before we say our goodbyes? No, just uh, just really thoroughly enjoyed it, Ben. Really, really love the podcast. You're doing great work here, so keep it up. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, and hopefully we can have a longer conversation someday on uh, Perpetual Chess. Sounds great. Okay. Take care, Andrew. Thanks, Ben.